Educated Thoughts presented by Prescouter, where we focus on big ideas in life science. I'm Jeremy Schmier, and with me is Dr. Ryan LaRanger and Dr. Michael Boat. It's been a few weeks since our last recording, as the fourth quarter has been busy to say the least. So I'm glad we can make it happen today, huh, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Glad to make the time. Yeah, it's nice, nice to be back. And uh, we already heard some distraught listeners asking where the next podcast is. So it's good to, <laughs> good to be back. Absolutely. Yeah, we're sort of back by, by popular demand. So with that, today we're going to be talking about data management, which in many ways is a broad topic, of course, but also becoming increasingly relevant as data is being pulled in from and stored in many places. So many lenses to think about here in terms of telemedicine, wearables, hospitals, in-office visits, portals, data integrity, security. Ryan, why don't we start with you? There's a ton of patient data being collected. You know, how are hospitals and healthcare providers collecting and using such large swaths of data? Well, I'm glad you said collecting and using is two different things, um, because this kind of gets to the crux of the problem, or a problem, I should say. So when we speak to experts in this particular field, uh, one thing that comes up often is that many of these barriers aren't necessarily technological, per se. Uh, A lot of data is being collected, but often that data is not being leveraged properly, or it is being siloed. And so when we're talking about innovations in the space of actually using this data, it's less a matter of, oh, we need more bandwidth or we need better storage structures. Uh, Often instead, it's just a question of, we need a structure which allows for the secure, efficient, and actionable use of that data in a form that the people who are at the point of care can deliver. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Ryan. You, you hit the nail on its head with with sort of indicating the the, the two different things: collecting and, and using. I I like the expression "drinking from a fire hose," mm-hmm. uh, which is typically if you look at all the data that's coming into hospitals or hospital EMRs, the there's not only the the problem of structure but also sheer volume, and clinicians uh, as most of our listeners will know are, are busy people. They, they cannot run through a bunch of different uh, buckets of data easily. There needs to be some sort of transformation of the structured data that Ryan was mentioning into something that's palatable or actionable that also contributes meaningfully to the whole workflow. And I think clinicians are, are a good example where um, it doesn't only matter what type of data you're collecting, but also what is what is it you're advising or what is it you're proposing based on that data? And that is really the, the human aspect of, of data management as well. So, so maybe you each could speak to, you know, what are some of the key trends and, and some of the newer ways that different groups, whether it be the, the small physician office, the, the hospital or, or other groups that are collecting this data, what are some of those tools that are out there that are making this easier and perhaps more actionable for, for folks in that, that sort of workflow? So uh, in terms of broad trend, one of my favorite turns of phrase, and I, I've forgotten who started this, is uh, data is the new oil. Uh, data is, has an intrinsic value to it, particularly patient data. And so a lot of efforts around this are trying to use that data to profitable ends. 
many of those uh, tools or efforts are still somewhat nascent, but let me describe them a little bit. So one of the big challenges is that uh, when we're describing this as a concept, there's more than one group of users for patient data, which seems a little counterintuitive, but you know, it's the all of the major players in healthcare are involved in this at some level or another. For instance, if I'm a medical devices company, I want to be able to acquire and transmit data so that clinicians can use it in sort of a point of care capacity, but also so that I can see if my tools are working properly, right? That becomes a feature. If I'm a clinician, I want to be able to develop better care outcomes, especially with the sort of uh, paper performance model that we see nowadays. If I'm a pharmaceutical company, I want to be able to run clinical trials as efficiently as possible. And these days, that means remote clinical trials and remote clinical trial selection. So in terms of tools, there are some groups which have done an excellent job of building databases to run things like remote clinical trials. Many of the barriers there are less technological and more bureaucratic. In terms of medical devices, this is something where they are working on developing more robust data architectures to support this kind of work. In terms of supporting better care, this is something that a lot of groups are struggling with. The underlying sort of machine learning based technology for clinical decision support is basically there. Um, the area which still needs some development is not necessarily getting a machine learning engine to make predictions, but rather instead getting your machine learning system to show its proverbial work. And I'll take a breath there because I know that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, Michael, nice. go ahead. Yeah, no, I think one, one, as I'm listening to Ryan, one complexity to indicate here is that in this current society, not only are there these different stakeholders that have different goals with the data, but at the same time, at every step of the way, patients want to be aware of what is happening with their data too. So a certain transparency over that process complicates what people can do with certain types of data, what is allowed, what is conform, country-specific regulations, or even regulations for particular medical procedures. Um, and that's just the, an initial thought based on that. You asked me about trends, and I think one of the major trends that that I um, that I see for 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 data related applications is the predictive value. And Ryan already briefly mentioned uh, machine learning. Um, that is part of of what I mean with predictive value. Um, so not only gathering data, but also using that data to link it to. And a good example may be. Um, a heart rate monitor that looks at your heart rate that at some point can detect that the heart rate is off or there's something wrong that then subsequently can say, well, based on this data, we know that people have this kind of indication or may go into heart failure. So using some of the data, and this could be multiple sources, of course, as well, into something that's predictive for clinicians or actionable. And that is a major trend where some of these applications are becoming more and more complex, better and better at doing that, and moving more from sort of giving an idea of what could happen to actually being able to diagnose some of these things very accurately. 
So that's interesting. I mean, I, I think like the heart rate monitors or some of these wearables, things that are constantly maybe feeding the data to somebody who's sort of watching and understanding if there are early warning signs. But I wonder sometimes, are these warning signs maybe not as reliable? Maybe somebody is just on a brisk walk and their heart rate is elevated. Um, you know, how, what is sort of the, the filter for what data is, is actionable and what might just be circumstantial for like an isolated situation? Are there other ways for, for the, whoever's using this data to filter what's real and what's not? I love this question. Uh, I think you, you've asked a couple, but I think honestly, this is one of my favorites that you've asked. Um, so one of the things that's really important when we start talking about uh, applying things like machine learning to patient data is that they are necessarily context acquiring if you program them that way. So the whole point of not having a linear relationship between heart rate X to diagnosis Y is because there are all of these contextual factors that matter, right? Are they going for a walk? Are they moving, right? What are some of their other factors? What's their BMI, da, 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 right? What's their family history? Uh, a good use of patient data includes all of these factors. And that's part of where um, the IT infrastructure becomes very important, right? How heavy are the silos between various elements of patient data? Are, I mean, <laughs> we can even get down to um, the resolution of data acquisition. This is something that Michael and I actually worked on a while ago, where um, you can have significant data loss between data acquisition and data storage if there isn't a unified agreement on the resolution of data you need, like a measure every second, a measure every hour, a measure every day, depending on the version of that you have, you can make different predictions with different levels of overall accuracy. So that's part of why uh, this is far from simple, because obviously with HIPAA protections and everything else, there are a lot of challenges there, and some of them are just institutional. Yeah, I guess one way to, to answer your question about the, the walk, for instance, is it's some of these devices, they don't just measure one thing, they measure a lot of different things. So they'll be able to communicate GPS data, which is movement, to an elevated heart rate and can even calculate approximate velocities with granular enough data. And so there's all kinds of ways, and especially once you start unleashing the beast, which is called machine learning, <laughs> where these these tools and these technologies, they start learning actively from a patient, uh, a patient's own experience. And so you get a personalized medicine in a, in a, in a device that, that someone carries or in a, a device that is in the hospital or even a diagnostic device that is being used to diagnose disease within a certain person. So really integrating some of those, those mixed signals to, to, to build that understanding is really where the power is. Yeah, and just along these points, something which if we didn't bring it up, I would feel very remiss. The attention economy for clinicians, right? It's you can make these kinds of predictions until you're blue in the face, but if a clinician doesn't want to use your system, those predictions will come to deaf ears. So there's an adoption element to this for sure. 
but well it's adoption and ux i so this is a sort of classic problem i'm sorry to interrupt but a, a way to think about it is so let's say for instance you have a near perfect system for diagnosis right for art an artificial intelligence system let's say it makes a prediction about a patient and it's correct the doctor has become somewhat superfluous let's say the and the doctor agrees then it's just the doctor's agreeing with the mechanical thing if the machine learning tool is wrong and the doctor goes along with the wrong diagnosis the doctor is liable and if the machine is right and the doctor's wrong that causes a problem and if the machine is wrong and the doctor's right uh that causes confusion so there's almost no scenario in there where the doctor is like actually very happy with the outcome uh and that's an adoption problem right it's a paradox that in many ways kind of incentivizes the the physician to cover their own ass more or less you know you can't yeah. rely you know entirely on on a machine or a program um but there's reason to believe that we're heading in a direction where the machines and the the tools and predictive analytics can become more reliable um depending on how data is is inputted michael do you have a, a thought yeah so so one thing related to that is is i think we're going to see the transition from um if you think about diagnostics for instance from a a tool or a technology saying well this you should consider that this is the case to with this percentage certainty we know now based on the data that this is the case to slowly sort of becoming a leading threat as these algorithms become better and better where also the clinician interaction with that is going to change right so instead of it being a piece of advice it may become a more dominant or a more prominent piece of advice in a diagnosis because especially early signs and early kinds of symptoms these are things we traditionally haven't been able to see ourselves so we're going to have to rely on some of those um, algorithms to to reliably um, say that so and that, yeah i mean it certainly is something that is going to continue to evolve and as as we're cognizant of time here i want to get both of your takes on on one other element so the privacy concern, right? The, the, yeah, I see you over there, Ryan, but you know, look, the usage of this data and advising a clinician or a physician on the best treatment or standard of care is only as good as the data that they're receiving. So to get good data, you know, there's probably a future where we're chipped or we're all on a wearable to what end is, is there like a, a privacy concern or a data security implication? Maybe that's a, a transition to another podcast, but give our audience a little bit of a teaser, each of you, before we wrap up. So I would say this is one of the big barriers to development and implementation in the space. Everyone's afraid of HIPAA violations. HIPAA violations are ridiculously expensive, and that's why there's a lot of the data security around it. So I think at least for right now, we are erring more towards um, caution vis-a-vis -vis patient privacy, but measures as to how to make that secure, uh, that, that's a whole other conversation in my opinion. Yeah, and let me then highlight the other side of the equation, which is the, the patient or user themselves, right? I, I think a lot of people are still quite hesitant 
to have such a device or technology on them, especially if you think about wearables or sort of medical uh, kinds of applications. I don't think there's been enough established to really convince uh, 95% of the world to, to really invest in that. Um, and also based on some of the historical events that have happened around data privacy. So that's another challenge. So the question becomes, one, is this going to make me a better doctor? Two, is this going to save my life? And, and perhaps we're just still waiting to see um, if it's a yes to both of those questions. Um, unless there are other thoughts, I think we'll, we'll wrap up for today. And um, we hope you all enjoyed this conversation. It's been a few weeks. We intend to, to get through the rest of the year and start to do these more regularly again. If you're not a subscriber already, find us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And next time, we're going to reflect on the pandemic at large. So until then, thanks for listening. Thank you.